Good morning. Welcome to the second service. We had a great 8.30 service, but good to see all of you. And uh, as Tawan said, uh, Chris morning, 80, it was 35 degrees when I went out this morning. Uh, so I hadn't seen the 30s in, I don't know, maybe back in April or something like that. So it's been a while, but uh, felt great. It was very exhilarating and woke me up fast. So, uh, but it's warmed up enough. I know we've got the uh, the screen out in the, fel- uh, in the courtyard, so there's actually some people out watching the courtyard, and welcome to you. If you're in the fellowship hall, if you're joining online, good seeing each and every one of you this morning. I hope you guys enjoyed Dr. Sam last Sunday. He was great to have him. Always good to have him, and if you weren't here with us and you missed uh, his message on the last shofar, uh, it is out on our YouTube channel, so I'd encourage you to go out and check that out. Um, maybe you've been listening a little more intently for our trumpet this week. We're closer by the day for the Lord to give that trumpet um, for us to meet him in the air. But uh, a great message, and I really encourage anyone to go out and check that out. He loves visiting here. Uh, he had a great time uh, sharing with us. A um, couple of quick things before we get into the Word. Uh, those of you that know Shoba. Joseph, she has already heard her trumpet. She is home with the Lord. And, um, you know, she attended here for, I want to say, seven or eight years or so in that range. She's been in Lynchburg the last two years where her son pastors a church up there. And she went home to be with the Lord. I know you ladies, uh, Gwen, thank you for posting those pictures. Uh, you guys, looks like several all had a great time at the, at the service yesterday. I really wish I could have gone. Had it been in Richmond, I could. But I I could not get all the way to Lynchburg with being kind of triple booked already yesterday, but I know that it was a great service. And um, the good news is we will all see Shoba. If, we know, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will get to see her. Say, well, I don't know her. If you know the Lord, you're going to know her someday. So, uh, you know, you're going to know anybody that ever went home to be with the Lord, uh, people you've never met all over the world, you will get to know in heaven. And so she was a great uh, mother, grandmother, sister in Christ. We're going to miss her, but... Uh, we'll all be seeing her that know her as Lord and Savior. And then, um, let's see, one other thing. This coming Wednesday, uh, this coming Wednesday, uh, Pastor Trevor will be sharing from Psalm 62. Um, I will be, later in the week, I have a wedding and some other things, so he'll be sharing this coming Wednesday, and um, uh, I think it'll be a great passage uh, in Psalms. We're kind of uh, going through the Psalms. I don't know how many more we have left. I've got some that I'll be doing. But uh, this Wednesday, Pastor Trevor will be sharing. You'll be blessed. Uh, it's a, I think it's 12 verses, but a powerful Psalm. And we're looking forward to kind of seeing what God will do this Wednesday. So come on out. That's live streaming too. If you happen to be out of town, you can watch that uh, and join us live. And then uh, lastly, uh, before we pray, and uh, we've been praying for revival for over a decade, we continue to do that. Our country desperately needs it. Um, yeah, I was thinking, um, you know, just this week about, I look in our country and uh, just this past week, there were four, like, and I, th- I think a couple were fatal, but four major stabbings on the New York City stub- subway system just this week. Uh, and, um, and New York has had its times in the past where it was way more dangerous, but it also had the last 20 years where it actually was just a wonderful, I mean, I remember my, uh, in the mid 2000s, my wife went, went there, uh, on a business trip with me, brought the girls and was 
taking a stroller all around Midtown Manhattan, all the way down, and not, not a, you would not think that way right now, uh, uh, that um, all of our issues in America are not really, well, if we just had way more police officers or this, that, and even though that you do need police officers and we do need all of those things and we need uh, judges to enforce actual crimes and all that kind of stuff, but our biggest issues are all hard issues, right? It's all hard issues. Like if, if a person loved Jesus, you don't have to worry about them harming or maiming anybody. That's what it comes down. If a person loves Jesus, you don't have to worry about them stealing from you. If a person loves Jesus, you don't have to re- uh, worry about them defrauding you or siphoning money out of your bank account or hacking into your system. You know, all of it is a sin problem. Amen? Amen. That's why we pray for revival, because you can have, you can have the, the perfect president, the perfect Congress, none of this which we have had for a long time. We have a very flawed, they're not public servants either, by the way. And so, uh, you know that. I mean, if the honest people don't pad their pockets and don't go into Congress and then walk out worth $10 million within three years, you know, how does that happen? I mean, I thought, you know, how how does that work? You know, you go there and you become a millionaire, you know, that kind of thing. And so, but all of these are sin issues. All of them are sin issues. So that's why we pray for revival, because uh, you'll never be able to legislate or just fix through policy and laws, even though policy and laws are important, but they have a limitation, don't they? They can only go so far to helping. I mean, guns are illegal in school zones. Does that stop people from using them? No, because they're sinners. And, uh, and so unless there's a redemptive work done, that's why we pray for revival. We're also going to pray for the nation of Sudan. Uh, yesterday uh, on our Ananias House monthly call from the Middle East, uh, yesterday's was from the Sudan, and uh, actually we had technical difficulties. John could not get Sudan connected, so he actually did the update um, for the nation of Sudan. And the pastor there has malaria. Matter of fact, quite a bit of the staff in, in, in the Sudan has malaria. So be praying for uh, the work there in Sudan. We're going to pray uh, as well. I'd love for us to do something in the holidays for the nation of South Sudan, specifically South Sudan. That's where they're at. But... Um, uh, I also, John wanted to say thank you. Uh, he's in Houston. Uh, he's about to fly back to the Middle East, uh, and I don't know which country he'll be in. I'm supposed to talk to him Thursday from somewhere around the world where he'll be, but he wanted to say thank you to this church for joining them in prayer on the monthly Saturdays. Uh, he said, it's such a blessing to see Calvary Chapel people on there. Uh, Pastor Rodney Finch from Raleigh wanted to say hi to all of y'all. He sent me a text this morning saying, please pass my love on to uh, Richmond. And I said the same for the folks down in Cary and Raleigh. And Pastor Thomas Powell down in Virginia Beach says hi to all of y'all as well. And so I'm just passing along what they want. So they want to say hi. So I'm saying hi. And, and I was thinking this morning, you know, how soon, you know, whether it's the folks in Raleigh, the church in Sudan, John in Houston, people in the Middle East, all of our brothers and sisters, we will all be in this same church service in heaven with Jesus forever. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. No 830 service, no 1045 service, no this church, no that church, no this town, no that town. One tribe, and you'll understand every language. Wouldn't that be great? So we're closer by the day. And so uh, we've been doing this ever since the pandemic started. Uh, We've been getting on our knees, which is an old school thing. They used to have the fold down knee pads and pews. We don't have that anymore. Uh, But uh, if you're in a place that's tight or it's too 
difficult to do or you have bad knees, just sit right where you're at. But those of you who are able to get on your knees, please join us as we take about 45 seconds of silence to go before the Lord. Our nation's issues can only be solved by the Lord. As much as I, pref- much as I love when we have good leaders and all those things are still a blessing, it's only when God changes hearts. So let's pray together. Father, I think of your servants, whether it was Moses, whether it was Daniel, whether it was Jeremiah, even Jesus praying over Jerusalem, your servants that have interceded on behalf of those that are still in darkness. And Lord, we come into this place, if we've been born again, we once were in darkness and you brought us into your glorious light. Not because of anything we've done, Lord, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but you had mercy upon us, and we thank you for so great a salvation. Even in this room, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us if we've neglected so great a salvation. If we've taken it for granted lately, Lord, wash us, cleanse us, forgive us of our own sins, our own pride, our own self-reliance, our own idolatry. Lord, whatever it may be, Lord, we ask that you would purify your people here this morning. Revive us, restore us, refresh us, renew us. We ask that you hear us as we cry out to you, not only for ourselves, Lord, to be renewed and to be washed and to be cleansed, but Lord, for those that are still in darkness, those in Washington, Lord, they may be trusted in themselves and their own power and their positions and, and they've acquired money. And Lord, there's people that are uh, bent on violence and there's, there's people that are trapped in their own sexual immorality and there's people, Lord, that are just uh, full of idols and they don't even know it, Lord. They're in darkness. Lord, we pray that you would open the eyes of our country, which is so far from you, so far from you, Lord. And we pray that you would bring the work that only the Holy Spirit can do, the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, as we saw uh, that you said in this same upper room discourse. Lord, we pray that you would bring repentance, a great awakening. You'd awaken the sleeping church. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Sudan. We pray for this pastor with malaria, that you would heal him. We pray, Lord, you'd pour out your spirit there in Sudan and you'd bring revival to that nation and around the world. We also lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters. We pray for them. We pray for their deliverance, their peace, their protection. And Lord, we just ask all these things for only you, Lord, can bring about the change of hearts and the transformation of lives and the quickening of your own church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How's everybody's knees? Good? All right. You never know. It's a, the very things that you think will hurt you, you do from the Lord, God may heal you in the process. He's done, he's been, he's done things like that in my life that surprised me. Turn with me to John chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we can get one in your hands. If you're at home watching online, turn to your Bibles as well. We'll pick up with where we left off. 
We finished, uh, before Sam came and visited with us last week, uh, we finished up verse 15. So we'll pick it up with verse 16. We'll be reading verses 16 through 24, but I'm just going to read 16 through 21 to start with. So follow along because uh, it's a bit of a tongue twister here. Jesus speaking, verse uh, 16. A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, in a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is it that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament But the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you again for the words of your son Jesus, Lord, who came and and, uh, lived for 33 years and preached and teached and uh, taught the disciples, and Lord, even uh, this Upper room discourse, Lord, these words that they needed, that we need this morning, uh, we thank you for them. Lord, we can build our life on these words. We have built our life on these words. Lord, we pray that we continue this morning to build our lives on the words of Jesus, on the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for your power, your anointing. Lord, I could never express or explain or teach your word without your help. I pray, Lord, that you would open all of our ears and soften our hearts and give us spiritual understanding and insights that we might apply these things and grow and be changed and be maturing in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We've all heard the term, break it to them softly which is to take some difficult news and to try and gently, carefully, diplomatically, and with sensitivity to the audience, deliver the message without throwing ice-cold water into their unexpecting face. But when you're on the receiving end of news you weren't expecting, and maybe news you didn't really want to hear, We're always taken aback, aren't we? Oh, didn't expect to hear that. Our feelings, our emotions, our fears, our worries tend to instantly be activated. If you've ever heard the words, some of you that work in certain companies, you ever heard the words, there's been a restructuring (laughs) in the organization. As soon as you hear that, there's been a restructuring in the organization And your department was not seen to be aligned with the direction of the company. Might have been your boss, might have been a supervisor, might have been a senior manager, might have been the HR representative, might have been a senior executive on a big con call, and they're trying to tactfully take the edge off the fact that your job no longer exists. Some of you have heard this in your lifetime, and the carefully worded language that is used. Now, Jesus, of course, he didn't mince words, did he? He gave it straight. He was lovingly direct with his disciples. 
from the beginning of the evening, he told them that he was leaving and going back to the Father. And he has come back to the central theme of his imminent, return, uh, his imminent departure, space between specific commands and encouragement and counsel and forewarnings. And this approach of kind of coming back to something, then speaking on something else, then coming back to it again, then speaking on something and coming back to it, this approach allows them to slowly process and come to terms with what, he, what he's saying. You ever done this? Maybe some of you have kids. You're like, I'm going to broach the subject and I'm going to come back a few days later. Broach it again, then come back. But not all one bite. And Jesus has done that throughout the evening, allowing them to process this. But what Jesus has told them actually isn't bad news at all. Amen? Amen. It's not bad news. It's instructive. It's strengthening truth that will ultimately be for their benefit, but they don't think it's for their benefit, or they don't know it's for their benefit. It's to their advantage, Jesus' exact words back in verse 7. It's to your advantage that I go away, he said. So if you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, From Sorrow to Joy. And as, as I've meditated on this passage throughout the week, I think I could have also called it, In a Little While. Just Jesus' exact words here. But he also uses these words too. But if you're taking notes, from sorrow to joy. Numerous times in life, what we think is bad news, at least at first when we hear something, really isn't. We might think it's bad news at first, but not in the long run, and sometimes not even in the short run. Losing your job but ending up with a better job that actually all of a sudden, wow, I have better work-life balance, I have more time to serve the Lord. It wasn't bad news after all, was it? It's just the, we had limited information at the time. God's like, hey, you thought it was bad news. It's actually really good for you. Did you ever get the news from your parents as you, when you were kids that the family was going to have to move? Anyone ever got that news when you were a kid? The family's going to have to move. Which means you got to move, right? <laughs> and it was usually due to some job-related change that your parents had which depending on the age you were when you heard this news, sounded like a disaster. And you believe that you would never recover from this move that your father's job transfer or military transfer, whatever it may be, you thought your life was ruined. Sound familiar? I'm gonna go back in time for some of you. Some of you is way back in time. You're like, uh, eons ago. Me and my wife, well before we ever met each other, uh, we each went through one of these. Uh, me when I was in middle school, her in high school, and she went through several, but I, I didn't go through as many. But her dad took a job, Sarah's uh, dad took a job transfer when she was in the ninth grade. Uh, she told me, I didn't know her then, she said she cried a lot for like a few weeks, but then her crying moved to she gave her parents the silent treatment <laughs> for weeks. She had a bad attitude when she was younger. She's a lot nicer now. She's come to know the Lord. She's much sweeter now. But, uh, but her response after getting past the crying was the silent treatment for weeks. That's how you let them know, I'm not happy. You kind of gently slam the door when you go by, no talking. Some adults still do this, by the way. But, um, but later that year, 
she met friends that are still her friends to this very day. And the people she knew before then, she really doesn't speak to them. And later she met me, so that was all worth it. But, um, <laughs> but that was only because several years earlier when I was in the sixth grade, uh, my mom and uh, Montel, my brother here, stayed living in Maryland with my brothers and sisters. My mom told my dad, come pick this one up. I can't handle him. That was, that was me in the sixth grade. So my dad had to come get me, and I was angry. I didn't cry. I was just angry. Uh, so that, we had all kinds of fun with that. <laughs> Eventually, I got over it, made new friends, and seven years later, I met my wife because she moved, I moved. These, what we thought was bad news wasn't bad news, was it? Not in God's, God's plan. I mean, later we would even get saved after that. And, and in both cases, what we started with was originally what we thought was bad news. What we thought were circumstances that we would have changed if we could have changed them. But God puts all of us through circumstances we can't change. Doesn't want us to always change them. In the disciples' case, it wasn't that they were moving. It was that Jesus was moving he was moving on back to the Father. He was going back to the Father as he told them. And this was deeply disturbing to them. Why would he leave us? He said, it's to your advantage. But he also said that because I'm going back, sorrow, back in verse 6, same chapter, sorrow has filled your hearts. And that certainly was the case. They could not see how Jesus leaving them and going away was going to be anything but detrimental in their life. Why would he come only to leave? Why would he give us all this teaching, all this training, all this encouragement, only to depart from us? You know, a rabbi like Gamaliel, you guys heard of Gamaliel in the Bible? He's mentioned in Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 22. Gamaliel is who Paul, when Paul was a Pharisee, he learned at the feet of Gamaliel, in the school of Gamaliel. Man, that all, you had to be like, Gamaliel, if you learned under Gamaliel, it was like going to Harvard or Cambridge. The best of the best. Paul was one of the best of the best. And so he learned under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the chief rabbis. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was known for his wisdom. People would come to hear Gamaliel talk about what he said about Moses and the law, what he thought about the prophet's teachings. But the disciples, they might wonder, you know, and, and Gamaliel, he lived his entire life in Jerusalem. His reputation and his influence grew over time. Even historians have written about him, as he's mentioned in the Bible, but he's also mentioned historically as well. But they might be thinking, the disciples, why wouldn't Jesus stay in Jerusalem like Gamaliel? People come to Jerusalem for the feast, the Passover, all these things. He, Jesus could have magnified his ministry by just staying and building a school of his own rabbinical teaching. What they didn't know is Jesus was not going to magnify his ministry with a school of rabbinical teaching, but with a cross like that. That's how he was going to magnify his ministry and his life. But the disciples, they might have thought, well, you should stay. You should do like Amelia. You should, you should teach here. After all, Jesus was wiser than all the rabbis combined. Amen? Amen? He confounded them every time they talked to him. 
He had miracle working power. He could walk on water. He could heal the sick. He could raise the dead. They couldn't do any of those things. Gamaliel, wise guy, but he couldn't do all those things. He had changed their lives personally. He had saved thousands of people. He had healed thousands. And multitudes followed him. This is Passover week that they're in the upper room here. Multitudes had come and just waved the palm branches at the beginning of the week. Remember all that? Same week. So they see that Jesus takes this occasion when he had just been worshipped at the beginning of the week and they, they're enjoying this upper room. And he says, I'm leaving they're deflated. You ever seen the air just go out of a balloon? They're deflated. But equally, they're confused of what he's saying. Look back at your Bibles, verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, a little while you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. What? Because I go to the Father. And some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this he says to us? I have it up on the screen as well. Um, what is this he says to us? A little while you not see me, and again, a little while you will see me, because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Their hearts are filled with sorrow. We know that. Jesus has already made it clear. He goes, I know you're full of sorrow right now, even more than maybe they were showing on the exterior. But they're now trying to decipher what does Jesus mean by a little while you will see me and a little while you will not, or a little while you'll not see me and a little while you will see me. Is this a riddle? Have they not been listening? They're trying to listen. You ever try and listen and you still can't catch it all? Yeah. Of course. Especially as much as Jesus has said. Are they just not understanding? They're certainly part of that. They're not understanding. And we find them now asking each other, Peter, do you get it? John, do you get it? Philip, what do you think? What do you, Matthew, what do, you, what do y'all think? What's he saying? What does he mean by this? A little while and you will not see me. Then a little while you will see me. What is he doing? Do any of you understand? You ever hear instructions for something in a group setting. Maybe you're at a training. Maybe it was a class. Maybe it was a company meeting. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just a family function. There's a big group of people. But in a group setting, somebody gives instructions. And then you turn. And instead of asking the person that gave the instructions, you turn to the person beside you. Did you get that? Do you understand? Some of you have probably done it already this morning while I'm speaking. <laughs> probably a hundred times it's happened in here already. What in the world is he talking about? You know, that kind of thing. It's interesting that we, do, we, we all tend to do this. We don't, and no one wants to raise their hand and ask the person who just gave, because no one wants to look like they didn't listen. So we ask each other, well, did you get that? My wife's a good note taker. I'm like, did you get those bullet points that Sam just, because I missed at least a third of them, right? Yeah. But turning to one another can't really help here because none of them understand what Jesus said. They can ask each other all day long and they're no further along in understanding what he's saying. And it appears that they try to and somewhat inconspicuously, which is really hard to do when Jesus is around because he sees everything, perceives everything, hears everything, not only what we say, but he knows exactly what we're thinking and what they were thinking. 
Now, before we look at Jesus' response to their little huddle and their confusion and their asking one another in futility, what does he mean? What is he saying? I want to talk about this little phrase Jesus says here, a little while. A little while. Does the little while refer, just got to put you on your students' caps for a moment here, does the little while refer to Jesus' three days in the grave and then seeing them three days later after he rises from the dead, the resurrection? Or does it refer to him going away for a while to the Father and then seeing them in heaven after a while of they remain before they go and meet him for eternity and he brings them home? Which one do you all think it is? Very good. Yeah, yeah. In my view, there are some there are some scholars who think this is only only speaking to the three days, but I believe it's definitely speaking to the three days and the little while of right now. We're in the little while of Jesus till he comes back with that final trumpet. We're in another little while. So I believe that he has the primary and the secondary meeting, but they are very closely related. Um, Good, good job, students, and uh, we'll move on. Particularly, uh, and particularly the reason I think that uh, the primary is the three-day little while, but then the secondary and very related is this 2,000 years that we're in right now. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But particularly in light of all that Jesus has said so far throughout the evening, it would be hard to say it only applies to the three days, considering he's talked about so many other things in this upper room discourse leading up to the cross, uh, particularly that he said he would return to the Father. He even says it right here, because I go to the Father. He does not go to the Father even at the day that he rises from the grave. He spends another 40 days on the earth after that. Uh, but we look at this, and all of these things are connected because over the next 43 days, the three days in the grave, then the 40 days that he will walk the earth after the resurrection... Uh, then you have the 10 days after that until he pours out the helper at Pentecost who will later guide them and guide us. So we, uh, we also, not only do we see what he's talked about in the upper room, but we know what's coming over the next 43 and 53 days. We also, we being believers that are alive in 2022, we have the benefit of the entire New Testament now. <laughs> so we have, we have Genesis, well, the Old Testament too. We have Genesis through Revelation. We have Matthew through Revelation in the New Testament or the New Covenant. We have the benefit of the entirety of John's gospel is now written. Here, John's in the upper room. He's not even written this gospel yet. So we now have the entirety of it written. We have uh, the other three synoptic gospels. So we can look and see that Jesus, when he says a little while, he definitely has the grave and the resurrection, that three-day little while in mind. But I believe he also has in view him going back to the Father. And just a little while, we'll all join Shoba. We'll all join Michael Ho. We'll all join Moses. We'll all join Paul in a little while. Mm -hmm. Verse 19, look at verse 19. Let's look at Jesus' answer. I said we want to just kind of consider this little while for a second. And then look at his answer. Jesus says uh, to them, uh, he says, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said in a little while, that you will not see me? And again, in a little while, you will see me. Now, Jesus, he's seen their dilemma. 
knowing they want clarity, knowing they want to understand among themselves what he's saying, so he steps into their conversation. And aren't you glad when you're driving down the road just talking to yourself, that the Holy Spirit steps into your one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, yourself, and I, right? And the Lord's like, why are you worried about this? Why are you not asking me? Why are you not seeking a verse that I can get? You know, so you're just kind of like all the, you ever have that where you're just kind of like having your own personal conversation and God's like, hey, I'm going to step into your conversation because I've been hearing what you're saying and you're off base, <laughs> which is good. We need, we need the clarity that only Jesus can bring. And he knows they wanted to ask him, but not even Peter was feeling up to asking. Usually when no one's feeling up to asking, Peter's like, I'll take one for the team, right? When, but Peter's had a rough night already, you know? So he's like, I'm going to sit this one out. I still have someone's ear to cut off later, and I still have to deny Jesus three more times. So I'm already filling up the card, so he's not going to even step forward on this moment. He's like, I'm sitting this one out. I've already told him that, you know, these things, you know, was it back in chapter? I can't remember the chapter. Uh, it's a, two chapters back, but Peter's already had him, and it's recorded uh, in the other gospels. So Peter's already said, look, other people deny you. I won't deny you. So he's got some other, other thing. That's all in the same night. So, so he doesn't even say anything, but Jesus steps in and says, I, I know you guys are talking to each other, and you're wondering. Let's look at verse 20. Most assuredly, Jesus continues. He stepped into their conversation. He stepped into their uh, little huddle here. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament. Now, they probably weren't hoping that he'd step in and say this. You will all weep and, uh, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, but you will be sorrowful. But, I'm glad there's a but there. Aren't you glad there's a but right here? But your sorrow will be turned into joy. Amen. He doesn't stop there. You're going to weep. You're going to be, you're going to lament. You're going to be filled with sorrow. But that sorrow is going to do a 180 and become joy. Now, even though both the very short three-day little while departure and the much longer 2,000 years since little while, and remember, with God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. It is a little while to him. To Jesus, it's nothing. He sits outside of time. But both of those departures are in view. As I mentioned, the primary focus, but I believe they're overlapping, but the primary, clearly the primary, is the immediate departure of the three days in the grave due to the cross and then his rising, and they will literally see him on the day of the resurrection. Remember, he'll come to the upper room, and just, he just appears. He just walks through walls. Remember, that's going to be, and of course, the women will have already seen him. A lot of the lady disciples will have already seen him earlier when they go to anoint him with spices in the garden. So the immediate is the little while of the next three days. The wider picture is the little while of what we're all in right now, our own waiting to see him face to face. Now, even though they're both in view, just hours from here, we, we can see that the, the little while, the three days is the primary because just hours from this conversation that he's having with them right now, 
The disciples are going to weep and lament by the following morning. The following morning, they will see Jesus' back shredded. They will see a thorns, they're like three-inch thorns driven into his skull. They will see him nailed by Roman spikes into a cross. That will traumatize you, brother and sister. Amen? Amen. If it was anyone you loved, it would traumatize you. If it was anyone you didn't even like, it would traumatize you. But then if it's someone who you both love, who is the savior of your soul, who has led you and taught you, you can see that when he says sorrow has filled your heart, he's not, this is not a play, this is absolute, literal, drenched with sorrow. Of course, Jesus was a man of what? Sorrows. A man of sorrows. So just hours away, he's going to be beaten, scourged, ultimately crucified. If you fast forward 24 hours from this conversation, 24 hours later, Jesus is fully laid in the tomb 24 hours later. Less than 24 hours later, he's already in the tomb. But he will be in the tomb because in the, in the Jewish tradition, you had to be put in the grave before the sun sets. So he will be in the grave, fully embalmed, uh, you know, wrapped, not embalmed, but wrapped with the spices and just wrapped with the spices in the, in the linens and put in the tomb. This, by this time tomorrow night, he's in the grave. So all this is going to be very, very soon. So we know this little while is primarily the next three days. Now, he says that you're going to weep and lament. Now, before he talks about their uh, sorrow be turning to joy, he says the world is going to rejoice. <laughs> the world will rejoice. The world, when he says the world here, um, it, it's not, well, it's inclusive of the entire world system. But most specifically, the world here is the leaders that represent the world crucifying Christ. Who would that be? Caiaphas? Pilate, Herod. They represent the power structure of the political and religious. They represent the world. It would be like the United Nations saying Jesus must die. And by the way, the United Nations is opposed to the Lord. And so is every other government on earth. All the things that you see, when you see, man, it seems like the world is becoming really, really oppressive. And it seems like free speech is being quenched. And it seems like uh, everyone is working together behind the scenes, that even big tech and all. Yes, they are all working together. And it's not so much about the things they're talking about now. It's pointing to the day they can close the Bible and close God out of the world, which will never work but they're going to try it again. And they tried to kill the Son of God thinking that would end it all, but we know that three days later, Jesus is going to shatter the grave. Their plan will not work, and in fact, it will work against their design and cause many more people to come to Jesus, which is what has happened over the last 2,000 years. But so when Jesus said the world will rejoice, he's saying that those that represent the world system which at that time was the power of Rome and the power of Jerusalem that had both rejected Christ at the highest levels of power. And obviously there was exception to this. A guy like Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin and he had come to Christ. But he was no longer part of the world. He had come into Christ, which is why he was going to ask for the body of Jesus along with Joseph of Arimathea. But Caiaphas and the scribes and the Pharisees, I know it's hard for us to believe but they would take pleasure in watching Jesus suffer. Isn't that hard to believe? Now, I don't, know how, I don't know how serial killers take pleasure in killing people. Do you? 
I don't know how people take pleasure in beating people or maiming people, but evil has no bounds. Amen? And so when evil takes full satanic control, and Satan was the one that said, remember he had gone into Judas for the betrayal of Jesus. Remember Jesus said that he uh, desires to enter you, and he did. He entered, uh, he entered into uh, Judas, but we understand that they can take pleasure and actually rejoice in Jesus being crucified. And people mocked him and they spit upon him. And hey, if you're really the Savior, get yourself off the cross. So the world would consider it, you know, just, hey, this is good. We've ridded ourselves of someone who was a fraud. And Rome, even though Rome didn't come up with the plan, Rome gave its stamp of approval because in Rome's view, this meant that nothing would destabilize Jerusalem and their power. So that was important to them. But the 12 disciples, well, the 12 minus Judas, because Judas is part of this demonic plan to kill Jesus. But the 12 minus Judas, Jesus, as you guys know, has already left the room. Uh, not just the, the 11 that remain here with him in the upper room, but all the disciples, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, all the other both male and female disciples that had come to Christ, they would all by the following morning be devastated, right? I mean, just they would have no tears left to cry by the end of the day of Jesus' crucifixion. And yet, three days later, a little while, as Jesus says, a little while, they will experience unspeakable joy on the first day of the week, what we call the Lord's Day, what we call Resurrection Day. Verse 21, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born in the world. By the way, if you ever wonder about, well, is a baby inside the womb a person? Jesus says a human being right. born. Right. Right. That ought to give you a really clear answer. Well, you can show people the verse. Well, maybe he means when they come out of the womb. Well, you might want to read the whole story when Jesus was in the womb and John the Baptist was in the womb. And both were actually, and John the Baptist leaped for joy, just being near Jesus. And they were both inside, Mary and Elizabeth. Uh, but I think it's crystal clear from many other passages, we understand that before we were in the womb when he knitted us together. But Jesus as a human being um, is born, and, and, and that brings great joy to a mother. Jesus compares what he compares here, what will soon take place to that uh, pregnancy period that a woman goes through, whether it's nine, nine and a half months, ten months, what the total amount is. Um, he compares that entire pregnancy to the time of the end of the pregnancy, when the end of the pregnancy results in what? Intense labor pains. And that only comes when there's finally the birth is going to happen. So you can have, you know, some months where there's not much pain and you can actually, oh, I'm eating ice cream. I have lots of energy. And all. my wife went through some of those things, but not when it gets to the labor part, right? When it gets to labor part, it is intense pain. Everything else is blocked out. And there's this intense pain that has to be endured until the baby is born. 
And Jesus actually said, he gave this same analogy uh, when he had the Olivet Discourse that the world, remember the labor pains always come at the end of the pregnancy and the world's most intense labor pain will come at the end of the age, which we call the seven-year tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. At the end will be the most intense pain and it'll give birth to the millennium reign of Christ. Well, here, Jesus has a 33-year ministry, 33 years of ministry, Three years, well, 33 years on the earth, three-year ministry, but I mean 33-year life on earth with a three-year ministry. At the end of the three-year ministry is the most intense pain he will go through, but it will give birth to our salvation. Amen? Amen. That's what it will give birth to. Well, the disciples, they will have sympathy pains with Jesus, but not be on the cross. They will have deep sorrow because he's on the cross, sympathy pains, but not experiencing the exact same pain, and they will go through it and watch him give birth to their own salvation. Does that make sense? That's what he's describing here. Just like the birth, he's like, you're going to go through this intense pain because I'm going to go through it for you, but you're going to weep and be sorrowful while you watch me go through this pain, which is going to bring forth and deliver the salvation for the world that God had promised when Jesus was born. And this is what he's talking about when he, um, they will see, when, when Jesus gives birth to this atoning work of salvation, before it actually comes to fruition with the resurrection and everything is complete, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, before all that, before that gift is now fully secured, they're going to see Jesus nailed to a cross. But when he's risen, they're going to see those nail-pierced hands and feet. But just like a mom, you know, when a mom goes through all that and she's going through all that pain, and going through all that pain, it's intense. Every blood vessel feels like it's going to pop. But when the doctor puts the baby in her arms, she might still be feeling all kinds of pain. But there's something about when a mom looks at that baby's face, in that moment, everything else fades away, right? Now, she might feel incredible pain again an hour later or even 15 minutes later. But the moment she sees the baby's face, Everything else just kind of fades because the emotion is so strong. It cuts off all. And Jesus says, when you see my face, you're going to have joy like you've never experienced before. Because you will have gone from worst to best in a matter of moments. Jesus is expressing that they are going to see him risen from the dead. And what will be their worst day will become their best day within three days. And he just says a little while. He'd already said earlier, I'll be in the grave for three days. Verse 22, as we kind of bring this to a close, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take away from you. When Jesus returns from the little while, of three days in the grave, which again is the primary little while here. When he returns from the little while, these three days in the graves, he is going to appear personally to them. He says, I will see you again. Um, he will appear to them, and he knows when he appears to them that they're not going to expect to see him. Even though he said this. He knows that they're, even Thomas is going to say, unless I see the nail pierce, unless I touch his side, I will not believe. And all of them, and ladies say, hey, he, he's, he's, not, he's not in the grave anymore. Women, you're crazy. 
The mighty men of God. That was their response. You guys, I don't know what you're talking about. People don't raise from the dead. And, you know, Romans killed him. They've sealed him. They troops around him. No way. But he knows they're not, they're not going to believe he's come back. But then he's going to show himself to them. And just like Thomas says, my Lord and my God, they'll be filled with wonder. They'll be filled with joy. They'll be filled with joy unspeakable at that moment. And what he is saying here is he's prophesying. He's prophesying something that's, he's prophesying something that's going to be fulfilled completely within three and a half days. The half till the following morning, the three days in the grave. It's only three and a half days away from this prophecy from being fulfilled. And he's telling them, you're going to see this. And their faith is going to be strengthened. And their sorrow is going to be fully replaced with joy. And by the way, you might be here this morning and you might be going through something that is sorrowful right now. You might be in a little while right now. And you, some, some might say to you, well, hey, that's not, that's not such a long time. But you might say back to them, well, let's trade trials and let's see if you think mine is... Now, you don't get a chance to do that. You just think it sometimes. Like, I'm glad to let you walk in my shoes for a while. We, we can kind of try this out and see whose sorrow is worse or whatever else. But the point is that in our lifetime, there's lots of little whiles, isn't there? There's lots of little whiles. And we're in this longer little while of 2,000 years of when will Jesus take us home. But we have these periods of time where Jesus says, you're going to have to endure this for a little while. But if you will, I'll be giving you a joy that you've not yet experienced. And that same fullness of joy that Jesus promised in chapter 15, he said that that joy comes through abiding in him. As we're kind of tying the whole thing together, the whole upper room discord. He said, abide in me. And uh, he said that I've come that your joy would be full, but he says this will be magnified, this joy will be magnified when things that made no sense finally make sense. Amen? They don't understand what he's talking about. They would be distraught for those three days. None of it would make sense. Why would he come and just die? Why, you know, we knew he was going to leave, but we didn't know it was going to be that he'd be murdered by the Romans on a, on a cross, and none of it would make sense. But when it became, ah, it was so he would shed his blood for our sins. It was so he would conquer death, conquer Satan, conquer the grave. Now it all makes sense. Now we can write epistles and gospels, which they would not just do on their own. The Holy Spirit would give them, but they would not have the understanding to write what we're now reading until they saw the risen Jesus. So then it would make sense. And then they would have joy from vividly understanding Jesus' power over sin, death, and Satan. And that nothing can touch their Savior. Brother and sister, do you understand that no world government that has tried to stamp out Christianity over the last 2,000 years can touch Jesus? He can step in anytime he wants and will, and we're closer to him stepping in and telling everybody who's in charge. Yes. Amen. Nothing can touch their Savior. All their hearts of sorrow will become hearts of rejoicing. But we can also see here that, that in the post-ascension, after Jesus walks for 40 days, after they wait 10 days in Jerusalem for Pentecost and the Spirit falls upon them, post-ascension, they're going to have new sorrows. Amen? Yeah. 
They're going to have to see James martyred. They're going to have to see Stephen martyred. They're going to have to see family members go home to the Lord. They're going to have to see people walk away from the faith. Paul's going to lose Demas who loved this present world. Those things are sorrowful. Any of you ever have a prodigal? Those things are sorrowful. Amen? Amen. So the other sorrows will come. This isn't going to be the last of their sorrows. Little whiles will come. More little whiles are going to happen. But Jesus is in the midst of all that. You're going to have joy. Why? Because he already said you're going to have the helper. And, and they have the hope of knowing, no matter what you're going through here, what you're going through online, you're going to see Jesus face to face. Do you believe that? Yes. Yes. Or do you believe that the best you can get is, hey, I, I just got to figure out what makes me happy in life. No, no. You want to be tapped into the root of Jesus. A time is coming, he says, where not only will your joy be full, but a time is coming of a greater joy when your joy will never end. I believe he's speaking of the micro, but looking to the macro. In Psalm 30, verse 5, you guys know this verse. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. This verse is both literal and metaphoric at the same time. There has been many times in your life, if you know the Lord, that you have been really down the dumps one day and the next day full of joy. Amen? I mean, within 12 hours, God, all of a sudden, you got a phone call, you got an email, you read a verse, you had a dream, something God triggered to say, snap out of it and experience the joy of the Lord. And you're like, thank you, Lord, it's a new morning. Amen. But metaphorically, we're in the night right now, and a morning is coming. Amen? Any perpetual morning, just like the resurrection morning when they saw Jesus, that kind of morning where it never ends in eternity. I love this quote from um, W.J. Chantry. He says, the only lasting and fully satisfying joys for any man lie on the other side of a cross. And it's a real paradox that Jesus says you're going to have to take up your cross and follow him. But it's through the cross that really joy had come. The birth of that joy that he's speaking of is because he has conquered the cross. But now he tells us to take up a cross. And actually walking in his footsteps is greater joy than saying, no, 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 that seems too tough. I want to build my dream over here on sand. It comes down to who do you believe? Do you believe Jesus or do you believe this world? The same world that killed Jesus or Jesus that actually conquered the world and is the one that is the giver of joy. Last two verses, 23 and 24. As he says in that day, no one will take your joy from you. Um, in verse 22, the end of verse 22. And in that day you will ask, from, ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. No one can take your joy from you because no one can take your salvation from you. Amen. The end of verse 22. But then post-resurrection, the disciples receive, and follow this understanding, post-resurrection, Jesus breathes upon the disciples. We'll see this later in the book of John. And they receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, they receive the immersion of the Spirit, right? Indwelling first, immersion second. Indwelling, then immersion. And so about 10 days later is the immersion. But they receive post-resurrection, post the indwelling, and then post-Pentecost, post post-Pentecost, the immersion. But with 
the indwelling of the Spirit and then the immersion of the Spirit, they will learn and they will write to us, the church, and they will write to us in the epistles and the gospels that we all, as they did, are learning to, as Paul wrote, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. To be in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit we talk about. To be living life in the Spirit, which is only possible because we now have the indwelling and we can receive the immersion, or which we call the filling of the Spirit, also called the baptism of the Spirit. But the disciples, they will have a satisfaction that will supersede their needs. Amen? Amen. Who here wants a satisfaction that supersedes your needs? In other words, you might not even get your specific need met and you have a satisfaction that still supersedes the need. Say, well, I could really use a thousand bucks. Well, so I don't have it, but I have a joy even without it. That's a a joy (coughs) of the Spirit that supersedes the actual need. The transfer of joy, if you're taking notes, is threefold. The transfer of joy is abiding, Jesus said back in chapter 15. Asking, he says it right here. He says, and in that day you ask me nothing. Most surely I say to you, whatever you ask. Jesus, I'm going to ask nothing, but I'm going to ask something. It says in the same verse. You will ask me nothing, you will ask me something. What does that mean? It means life in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will prompt. It won't really be you coming up with your questions. It will be the Spirit giving you God's will and desire. You'll ask me nothing, but you'll ask me something because the Spirit will actually be teaching you to ask according to the will of God instead of, I want a Ferrari. I want that. You know, that's not the way. I want to be six foot four. You know, you you gave up on that dream. You are okay now, right? And you're saying, no, Lord, I want to see spiritual growth. I want to see this person saved. I want to see you do this that only you can do, the works of God. So abiding The transfer of joy is abiding, asking, and then receiving what we would call abounding. Where Paul later says, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. The transfer of joy, abiding in Christ, asking Christ, and abounding from Christ. The last verse, verse 24 He says, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The Spirit of Christ will bid them to ask things in the name of Jesus, which we talked about the power of the name of Jesus a couple weeks ago, according to the will of God the Father. And what is led of the Spirit of God in the name of the Son of God, because he says you will ask in my name here again. He's specific here. You're going to ask in my name. Uh, But what is led of the Spirit of God in the name of the Son of God to the glory of God the Father, those prayers, those desires will be answered, but they will not always be answered even in the way we pray them because even when our prayers are pure, we still have missing information. Amen? We pray like we, we still are praying correct. Like if I prayed for the pastor in Sudan... All I have is, I know he has malaria. God says, there's 8,000 other factors you're unaware of. I don't get to pray for all those, but I know the Holy Spirit knows all those other factors. Amen? Amen. Isn't that good to know when you're, when you're like, I only know this much information about this situation, Lord, and I'm going to pray it anyway. God covers all the other gaps, which is great to know. And it takes a lot of pressure off of us because we were never intended to carry that weight anyway. We were intended to give all that to him. So those prayers will be answered, those desires will be fulfilled, and 
then we receive, he says here, that your joy may be full. You begin to grow in joy by communing with God, talking with the Lord, walking with the Lord, asking according to the Spirit because you're living life in the Spirit. And that kind of joy and fullness is indescribable that nourishes the depths of your soul. That's how Paul said he could be content whether he abounded and had a lot of things or had next to nothing, shipwrecked, prison, didn't matter. What Jesus is saying is your joy is going to be relative to your dependence upon me. Your joy is going to be dependent upon your, is going to be based upon your dependence upon me. Brother and sister, those watching, the more dependent you are on Jesus, the more joy you're going to have. The more dependent you are on yourself, the less joy you're going to have. That's what he's saying. Your joy is going to be full when you talk and commune with me. Jesus, as I close this, you know, David said in Psalm 51, 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. That restoring, it comes from asking. But we ask because we really believe. And if you really believe that Jesus is the source of joy, that Jesus and only Jesus can turn any experience, anything you're going through, anything you have gone through, and turn it to joy, then you're going to abide in him. You're going to keep asking of him. And you're going to abound in him. Amen? Amen. But we have to believe it. Amen, brothers? We have to believe it. We have to believe what he says, not what our emotions think. What he says. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is true. One of your names, Jesus, is the faithful and true witness. What you prophesied here happened in three and a half days later. It was completely fulfilled. What you prophesied here is being fulfilled in us, Lord. We, we haven't seen your face, but we've seen the work of your spirit in our life. And we are closer in a little while to seeing you face to face. And all these apostles, Lord, their little while was not only the three and a half days, but just in less than... 30, 40, and, and perhaps with John, maybe 80 years, Lord, their little while, they've all been with you for the past 1,900 plus years because our life is but a vapor. And a little while, Lord, we'll see you. But Lord, even while we go through other sorrows, Lord, we know by faith you can turn anything we're into into joy. Anything, Lord, into joy. Anything that we've experienced into joy. Any rejection. Lord, you talked about that in the previous verses, that the world would reject us. But Lord, you can even give us joy in the midst of that. We can sing like Paul and Silas in a prison. So Lord, I pray that uh, as we depend upon you, our joy would grow, not based on circumstances, money, or what we do or don't have, but Lord, that we would grow in joy in our dependence upon Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to take of the Lord's Supper, which as you guys know, is part of this upper room. And so as Tawan and the team play for just a few moments, if you don't have the elements, raise your hand. So anyone that didn't get the elements, I see some hands up front. Uh, make sure everybody has them that wants to participate. Uh, we'll take of the Lord's Supper together. As you guys know, it's, it's a reverent thing. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. Take this time to 
search your heart and, and say, Lord, if I have unconfessed sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So uh, take that time, but also to thank Jesus, your own heart. I'll be expressing that in, in prayers before we take these elements, but just take this time to just worship, reflect, and then we'll take these elements together and bring our service to a close. I was telling the 8.30 service, um, but it bears repeating, that at the point of creation, and, and I know that this, a lot of the things that God tells us in his word are outside of our 
full understanding, but we can understand it on some level enough that when he's written it, we kind of get it, but we just don't get it at, at its full breadth of understanding and, and not until we get to heaven. But So we know that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, they are one and yet they are three distinct persons of the Godhead in one. And God himself says, let us make man in our image. Genesis chapter 1. Let us make man in our image. So God creates Adam, later takes Eve from Adam, and you have man and woman, and you guys know that it didn't take them too long. We don't know how long, but they chose their own selves rather than trusting God, and then sin passed into them and to all of us. And so God said, let us make man in our image, and somewhere in eternity past, God the Father says to the Son, I'm going to have to have you take on their human flesh and step into time, and people that you created are going to beat and torture you and crucify you. And Jesus says, I'll do it. Unbelievable, right? Blows our minds. I mean, we can't even comprehend. The whole thing is like, I know it's true, and I've been saved for 27 years, and I still can't get my arms around the whole thing. I mean, all the way back to the Genesis creation, to the fact that somewhere in eternity past, he was slain before the foundation of the earth, that, that Jesus says, I'll do it. I will let grimy Roman soldiers drive nails into my wrist and into my feet for us. For people that were spitting upon him, for people that were hurling insults, for people that were saying, hey, if you're really the son of God, why don't you get off the cross? All of that, the humility, every bit of it, stripped down. And, for, and he's like, and yet he said right there, he goes, I can call, he told Pilate, I can call legions of angels if I want to. I'd have done that. How about you? I'd have said, I've heard too many people cursing me out today. Let the fires fall. But Jesus humbled himself to the cross, all the way to the cross. Amen? And we're saved because of that. Because if he does call 10,000 angels or legions of angels, our salvation doesn't happen. Then we're lost without hope. And this is why he said, remember these things. Amen? We do it once a month. You need to remember it more than we do the Lord's Supper. You can do it yourself. But we need to remember that Jesus gave everything for our salvation. Amen? So let's pray and just say thank them. We'll take these elements. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, long before you came into Bethlehem, you had already determined you would come. Then in the garden, as you sweat drops of blood, you said, not my will, but thy will be done. And so Jesus, even on this night that you divided the bread and gave the cup, you said, this is my body, which is broken for you. You made it clear that the whole Passover, that these men had uh, participated in since they were little boys, the Passover was you were the Passover lamb. And we thank you, Lord, that, that inside the God, in the Father, Son, and the Spirit, you mandated that the shed blood of your Son would be the only, the only atonement that would atone for our sins. And Jesus, we thank you that you've done this on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would call upon you even right now and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. They would not leave your day without settling their soul. But Lord, if we know you, help us to be appreciative and to walk 
and abide in you because of this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you have the elements, take them in your hands and we'll start with the bread. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take of the bread. Likewise also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Let's take of the cup. Once you stand, I'm just going to close us in prayer. Are you glad you came today? Are you glad that you only have a little while till Jesus reunites you with the whole family of God? Amen? Aren't you glad that, that Jesus is so big that thousands of years are a little while? So all this week, whatever you go through, say, Lord, if this is just a little while, Give me your joy. Amen. Amen? I mean, it's a simple prayer. Whatever you're going through, Lord, if this is just a little while, give me your joy. Amen? Amen. You have to ask. You have not because you ask not a lot of times. Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, we pray that, uh, Lord, in the little while that we're all here, that we would accomplish your will. Not ours. Your will. We'd accomplish what you want us to finish in this lifetime, even in this coming week, what you want us to finish by Monday or Wednesday. Lord, whatever little whiles we're going through, that we would be given patience, perseverance, and joy. And Lord, we abide in you, we continue to ask of you and abound in you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great rest of the week.